Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Borzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So grateful you're with us today. As many of you know, we have listeners all over the world. You are welcome wherever you are. And I say this at every podcast, Come. this is a come as you are podcast. I don't care where you are emotionally. Are you listening for yourself, a friend of yours you're concerned about? You are welcome here. If you're in your bed in your pajamas, just with the covers over you, you just can't get out of bed. So glad you took the time to listen to the podcast. And if you're, you know, in a good space, you just wanted to explore grief a little bit and you have some questions about some things that may not be working quite in your life and you're exploring things and you, something came up saying, hey, maybe grief has something to do with what's happening in my life today or how I'm operating. Welcome. I am so enthusiastic about our podcast today and what we're going to be talking about. It is a huge subject. And if any of you know, baby boomers, which I am one of them, are going through this. We're like the biggest age group that is growing right now. And it is a topic that everyone is talking about. I am going to be 64 in December, which is when you're listening to this podcast, I'll be 64. Do I feel 64? Whatever that is. No, I feel ageless. This is probably one of the best times of my life. And I'm just happy to be here. But there are times when I do think about my past and the future. There's a lot of years in my past. Do I have 64 more years ahead of me? I don't know. I'd like to think so because I don't think about, we all know death is inevitable, but I try not to think about it. I just take care of myself and keep my energy up, do what I can to eat and have a mindset for my highest good for, and it will be the highest good for everyone around me. So I can be around for a long time. And I've done my grief work and that has made all the difference. The grief recovery work. I was listening to our president at the grief recovery Institute, which does the grief recovery method. He did an Instagram today and he started it off saying, and I'll start it off. Here's a question. Do you wake up in the morning and go, ah, oh, I think I'm going to do some grief recovery work today? No, <laughs> I know I don't. And how I started doing grief recovery work, it wasn't like I was exploring grief recovery and didn't even know how grief had something to do with my life and certain areas that I had questions about or perplexed about. So if you have been a my podcast, Grief Recovery Now podcast listener, know a little bit about the grief recovery method, 
or just wondering, or been to my grief recovery now private Facebook group or anything else outside of my little world on your own, maybe this is a sign. Some people wait for a sign or just a little nudge, with, which I had. I started reading a book. I lost my parents very young. My dad died when I was 16. My mother died when I was 29. My dad was 46. My mother was 58, 59. And I started reading things like fatherless daughters and losing a parent young or all kinds of subjects, wondering, okay, there's there's some things going on that I'm questioning. I know one thing I thought about is things I've learned and the belief systems that I'm operating on in my lifetime that didn't serve me. One of the things that, and this is a personal matter, but my mother used to worry about what people thought about her. So she was never truly her authentic, authentic self. I know she was at home. Sometimes she'll talk about her childhood. We're Eastern Europeans. And for some reason, what I see in that culture, people didn't talk about their past that much. Many of my grandfathers, great-grandfathers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and my parents, they're not around anymore. And as I'm older, I have some questions and there's not no one I can ask. We didn't talk about things like that. And my mother was always so worried about things. So that belief system was this little nook and cranny in me that I operated on on some level. I knew consciously that that was an issue with my mother. I didn't realize that I was operating somewhat on that level too. So that was unresolved issue I really needed to look at and something that I needed to go further on. And that had something to do with my grief recovery work. Some things I had to forgive my mother for, or give my mother an apology for maybe the way I acted, or maybe wasn't as authentic with my mother, or significant statements on, mom, I know how you lived and how you grew up affected how you were. And I just had an opportunity to have some closure on some things. That's just a little piece of the recovery work. When you do grief recovery, I can't tell you what's going to happen afterwards. What I do know for most people I've worked with and for myself is that my life does not have the filters it once did about relationships, the way I operate in the world. There's a sense of freedom and a fullness, a fulfillment of living each day, being very awake to my life and things shifted. I'll give you one story and I want to get to our guest right away. I had a friend who did grief recovery work and she hated her mother, very abused, even though, you know, sometimes it's not all horrible. It's not all good. There's this in between. She never even wanted to think about her mother. And it was always through hate. When she did this work, I would say a month or two later, all of a sudden my friend was going through some things in her house. She saw a framed photo of her mother and without even thinking about it, she put her mother's framed photo on her mantle. And she goes, how did that happen? Things like that shift. And that's the forgiveness part. And remember, forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is for you. You don't even have to tell the person you forgive them, whether they're living or dead. And maybe you could write your letter. But anyway, it's enough about that. If you want to know more, call me, get in touch with me. And I have all my information on the notes in this podcast on all the podcast platforms. And so more importantly, even though that was an important topic, I believe, because it's done so much to me, I want to introduce you to our guest. His name is Dr. Ronald Kaiser. 
For six decades, Ron Kaiser, PhD, has helped individuals of all ages to be their best version of themselves, while continuing to serve as director of psychology of the world-famous Jefferson Headache Center, as well as clinical associate professor at Thomas Jefferson University's Sydney Kimmel Medical College, Dr. Kaiser has become the go-to person for advice on enhancing longevity through the adaptation of a mindset and lifestyle that he lives as well as teaches. He has created the concepts of goal-achieving psychology, GAP, the type P personality, and the latest book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, has been on the Amazon bestseller and received three book awards, his TEDx talk, Aging Enthusiastically to Make the World a Better Place, has been viewed over 160,000 times, probably even more as we speak. And his weekly podcast has posted over 100 episodes. Dr. Ron has been interviewed on numerous radio shows and podcasts. And today, one of the things we'll talk about is grief recovery while aging. So help me welcome Ron, Dr. Ron Kaiser. Welcome, Ron. Well, so nice to be with you, Charlene. I really am enjoying the work that you do and happy to support it and really, really happy to be with you. Oh, feeling, of course, you know, is mutual. So how we do it is we talk about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And with you personally, because you are a professional and a doctor, I I believe in the peer-to-peer model. Tell us about yourself personally. How did you get into this rejuvenating and revigorating yourself while aging? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think that there were several things that kind of combined at the same time. Uh, Probably most prominent is that I got older. Uh, And (laughs) somewhere around the... uh, 60s, uh, when people were starting to, when peers were starting to decide whether they're going to retire, keep working, I saw some who had preceded me into doing both and, and some doing it very successfully, some not so. And it really concerned me a little bit when I saw perfectly healthy people who hadn't planned for the future, who just went into decline. And I think everything is then worse if you experience a loss, whether that be from your job, whether it be a spouse, family member, everything is worse if you're starting out from, from a place of depression. While other people who were, whatever they, they did, whether they continued working as I do, or if they've chosen retirement, which is a very valid choice, as long as it's not a sedentary retirement. I saw how many of them, because a loss was not the only thing in their life, were able to marshal other forces so that those losses that we all experience don't have to be what defines us any more than, you know, at a younger age. At some point, I tore my ACL playing basketball before they even knew what it was since They didn't have MRIs in those days, but I had to adapt to the fact that there weren't some things, were some things that I couldn't do as well. Eventually, I built it up so that I could do things like skiing and tennis that involved pivoting. But if I wanted to concentrate on the fact that that was what defined me, then that would have been a problem. And, you know, this is kind of how I saw it 
as, as I was seeing my peers aging. I think the other thing was the way that I began to be perceived. You know, I'd get questions like, how long ago did you retire when I hadn't? Uh, a nurse would take a medical history and ask what medications you were on. Uh, and I wasn't on any until fairly recently, and I'm still not on much. Um, That's awesome. But, you know, I, I just, it bothered me that I didn't feel a whole lot different at, in my 60s and 70s than I did at a younger age. And I think one of the things that also bothered me was when I, when we started doing things socially, not started doing social things socially, but when we were doing things socially with other couples, I was finding the fact that if my informal survey said that when you got three couples together, at least one of the six people is going to start turning it into a medical report. <laughs> if that's the focus of your life, then again, it pushes you into depressed mode rather than an active mode. And I just it started bothering me. I remember saying at one time uh, when we were out, if, you know, if I knew how much fun my 70s would be, I'd have grown older faster. <laughs> got mad at me about that. You know, like you're not supposed to. So, you know, there, there was a combination of things. Uh, somebody, I remember socializing somebody and he said, you know, we were sitting around the pool and talking about our different illnesses and injuries, just like our parents used to do, as if that's a source of pride. And I decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. That wasn't how I wanted to age. And to the extent that I could impact on others, I really wanted to do that. Yes. And that's like patterns of behavior, right? Things, the belief system in some ways from your parents that we take on, you know, talking sure. about illnesses, just expecting, okay, I'm getting older. This is just what is expected. And I have a saying, you're either pushed by pain or pulled by a vision. You weren't pushed by pain where you're like, oh my God, I had to readjust my whole lifestyle to get to where you are today. You had a vision, you were observing, you got it through observing others and you weren't that. Yeah, you I, were already living a full life and your psychology of vitality in life. Yeah, positive psychology. Positive it, psychology, that's what it is. Yeah, I think you don't really want to go backwards. You know, if you're doing things in a healthy manner. Again, you don't have to keep working. You don't have to do any of these kinds of things. But if you're not moving forward in some direction, and I've articulated that, that there are three or four main areas where people have to always be moving forward, always be making plans. Um, if you're not doing that, then in essence, what you're doing is essentially sitting down on the sofa going to the remote and saying, you know, wonder what's on TV, having no idea or any goal or any program that you particularly want to do, but having nothing to do to fill your time. And I think that's that's a horrible way to look. Yes. Well, it's fun to do once in a while. Don't make it as, you know, we just no. want to go with the flow of stuff, but have something to look forward to that you can be enthusiastic or excited about. Yeah. The basic pattern should be forward looking. It's just like it's Fine to have a cheat day on a diet or a day where you just veg out or you stay in your PJs most of the day or something like that. But that that should be, you know, something that's kind of part of you, but not 
the way you define yourself. I, sometimes on Sunday mornings, uh, I used to wear a Fitbit, and then I got mad at the Fitbit because if you didn't sleep for, I think it was three hours straight or something, it didn't record it as, as a sleep thing. And I and it bothered me because sometimes I would take a nap and I didn't get credit for it. Uh, but when I used to wear it on Sundays, there would be days once in a while, uh, particularly if the, the weather was kind of inclement, I would spend much of the morning reading the Sunday paper. Then I watch the pro football, the Eagles in Philadelphia. Um, and at the end of the day, I'd have like 2,000 to 3,000 steps instead of the 8,000 to 12,000, 14,000 that I normally would have. And it used to bother me that, hey, you know, what I was doing, that's how some people are every day. And how can you be vital? How can you maintain health if your lifestyle is so sedentary? Yes, that could be the death of you. And what... What do you talk to your clients about and some of the people you th- you talk to or the audiences you talk to, if they are sedentary, if they are, they see, feel a little hopeless, like, okay, is that all there is? You know, the Peggy Lee song, is that all there is, my friend? It's, what do you, how do you like have them take certain steps towards a more enthusiastic life at the, as you're aging? I never tell people if they say, oh, I'm old. I said, don't say you're old. Just say, I'm getting older, which is a fact. And it's not a bad thing. And then we, let's talk. Can you throw some grief in there? Do you think grief, unresolved grief, incomplete grief could have something to do with people not moving forward? Like the unresolved grief, it starts getting amplified because you've operated on it for so long. Or if it's incomplete and it's still in your nooks and cranny of your life, or even really out picturing in a way that's just part of your personality. Can you talk about sure. that a little bit? Sure. Now, I think you've kind of asked a couple of questions, so I'll try I to do that. <laughs> uh, if I can remember, I'll, I'll try to handle them both. So first thing, in terms of what I might tell a client or a patient is when you talk about something like the sedentary lifestyle or, or depression or so on, I encourage them to think in terms of it as being a behavior, not a condition. It's not like asthma or diabetes or heart disease or something like that. Behaviors can be changed. So the first thing we have to acknowledge is that it is a behavior. It can be changed. Once you know it can be changed, then you've empowered yourself, if you choose to, to make those changes. And then you don't go from nothing to everything when you're trying to make changes. The important thing is small steps. And as I said, I think we've got to be working in four main areas. One is the health and fitness area, which I break up into two areas, the uh, healthy eating area and the owning your body area, which involves exercise, meditation, sleep, those kinds of things. The other is, uh, one other is the intellectual functioning area, which a lot of my peers really worry about that, hey, I'm going to get demented or suffer Alzheimer's. And while we can't always offset it, there are some things that we can do to try to offset it and delay it. And the other is the social connectedness area. And that that's a real killer. I mean, that's if you loneliness in the older age ranges is right up there with things like 
obesity, smoking, sedentary lifestyle, as far as being longevity reduces. So one of the things that I like to do preventively is get people involved in those in all those areas so that they have goals and they're moving forward. Now, the issue of grief and, and all of us, you know, have some grief issues because, I mean, I, I was more fortunate than you uh, in terms of my parents lived uh, a lot longer than yours did. I've uh, not had to deal with divorce. Uh, I've had, we lost a, a dog after, had to put him down after 16 years. Kids move away. But in terms of, and, and certainly have lost relatives and friends uh, and so on. So the, the there are two things that I think are important in this regard. One is that unresolved grief is a draining condition. So the nature of avoiding it, in essence, consigns you to the fact that you're not going to be the best version of yourself unless you face and deal with it. And that's why, I mean, I think the work you're doing is so great to open the stuff up and to give people guidance in that regard. So I think making people aware of the fact that, hey, you know, it's kind of like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or like eating junk food as your primary meal. You know, for some people who would never think of eating a fast food burger or smoking would still kind of hang on to this unresolved stuff for various reasons, some of which is they want to be able to feel that 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 they don't want to give up the blame to other be, uh, of other people if, if it wasn't a good relationship or look at themselves. I mean, there, there are many ways, many things that, that can maintain this. I'm just picking out one of them. But the, the fact that if you don't resolve the grief or at least deal with it, because again, we want to be moving forward. Life is a process. We don't always reach outcomes and whatever we do, but moving forward really empowers us. The other thing that I think is important is if we make sure that the grief is a part of us, not the part of us or the central definition of ourselves, you know, any more than the fact that I have an abnormal knee, which is, which is missing an ACL, but that doesn't doesn't affect my gait. It doesn't, you know, limit me in any way. If I wore glasses as I used to before cataract surgery, you know, if I really focused on that, that would be a, a particular problem. And I think, and if we define ourselves by a preventable medical condition, that's a problem. And I think it's the same thing here that we have to look at the fact that grief is part of us, but it isn't the sole definition. And if we can accept the fact that that's part of us and that if we don't deal with it, it inevitably drains us. Is that like adding more sugar or more nicotine or whatever to our body? Yes. I There's this book I read. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such important um, knowledge coming from you. It reminds me of a book that I read by Anthony DeMello. And he was a Jesuit priest that was sort of this renegade and in the Catholic church. And he wrote a book called Awareness. And he talked about depression, what people do. He goes, remember, if you, some people walk around feeling they are depression, they are the identity of depression and they walk as that depression. He goes, you are not depression. You are experiencing 
depression. And that made all the difference. I know I went to, a lot of people know that I'm in recovery of alcohol, drugs, and over like almost 34 years ago, I've been clean and sober, which is great. But I remember going to therapy my first year, right? And the therapist asked me, Charlene, she goes, and I was seeing her once a week. And she said, Charlene, she goes, before you come back, do you think you can make a mistake before you see me again? I was like, no problem. (laughs) And I said, okay. And she goes, I want you to feel what happens to you when you make the mistake, what goes on in you, in your feeling and what happens. So, okay. So I went the next week, of course, I made a mistake and did what she asked. So she asked me, well, how'd you feel? And to make a long story short, I said, I felt like I was the mistake. Not that I made a mistake. I felt I was the mistake. Charlene was the mistake. And that's probably a way I was operating on, like always judging myself based on a past thing. And I'm not, this, what I do is not therapy. It is an educational modality with some therapeutic approaches to it. But I learned so much from that. It's like, okay, I made a mistake. Or just like depression. I'm experiencing depression. I am experiencing grief. I am not grief walking. Even though it can can be consuming, of course, and devastating and heartbreaking and not get out of your bed type of thing and not wanting to share and isolate. And you talked about isolation. That could be the death of people. COVID, I have friends who are, I'm an extrovert and they're introverts. They welcomed it. They go, oh my God, we were so happy (laughs) to hear. It wasn't bad news to them. I had patients like that. He said, I've been trying to do this all my life, not interact with people. Now I don't have to. Right. It gave them permission. But hopefully they still, and we, of course, they had to show up to these group sessions that we were doing and use Zoom and find ways to connect because they started believing there was an important healing for them and it was healthy and they really enjoyed it. And they had to do contrary action. That's what grief work is. That is what working on knowing that you are experiencing depression and it doesn't necessarily have to be together. It's not going to go away without the work. Discovery is not recovery. And you're probably like that in your work and being in psychology. It's like you can learn all kinds of things, tell the story a million times over, upside down, right side up, and you're not going to get better, right? Right. There, there are really two, it's pretty simple. There are really two negative things, irrational negative things that depressed people tell themselves, one or the other. One is that I'm this special kind of person that lousy things happen to me, like you described, and like that old cartoon character who had the cloud over him had. And then the assumption is, well, why work on it? Because it's it's not going to get better. Other people can do it, and they, you know, whatever it is, they apply for a job and they get it, or they uh, get a job and they, they have a boss that they like, or Whatever, you know, they can always and, you know, if you if you read much in the way of biographies, you'll there's nobody that you'll ever read about that had a really perfect life with no with no impediments. So uh, but that's one of them is, is like kind of what I call the total put down that you're putting yourself down totally, which in many ways is a cop out because that gives you permission, you know, because because realistically, if you. Uh, if you're treating it as something, if you've defined the rules, um, 
then then you know you can't improve from there. The other thing that I think uh, uh, I know a lot of depressed people do is they look at the current situation and they'll say, "This is this is terrible. I will never." get better. This is as good as it's going to be. So when they face a challenge, they think in terms of what can go wrong. Uh, they anticipate it going wrong. And then they treat it as a fact. And yes. only can it go wrong, but it will go wrong. My first book that was uh, an ebook, uh, really came about from uh, my work with patients uh, over time, I began to ask what can go right when we dealt with challenges. And it was like I was asking them a trick question in a lot of cases that people were saying, I can tell you what can go wrong, or I never thought of it. And I've had people correct me and say, did you mean to say it to ask what can go wrong uh, instead of what can go right? And so I wrote the book by that title, What Can Go Right, because I think it's something that's very important for depressed people, especially it doesn't guarantee that things are going to go right, but if you can at least acknowledge that there's a chance it will go right, you may have some ability to, to make some good things happen. Yes, and that can go with grievers too, thinking it will sure. never change. I am all kind, I'm in all kinds of grief groups on Instagram and Facebook and all that, just because I want to know what's happening with people. I'm interested in that. And you see people talk about it will never change. That person's out of my life or situation with abuse or trauma or PTSD or all that stuff. And one note I want to say, anyone who is going through this, see themselves and they're going through extreme grief or depression. This is not judging you. This is just hopefully peers of yours, even though we're professionals, we're two people who have experienced others who have gone through it and also personally what you're going through. So this is, that's why I believe in the peer-to-peer -peer model. It's great to have professionals. When, even when you're not with that once a week with Dr. Kaiser or coached by him or myself through the work I do, reach out to others you can relate to. I tell people, Google it, see if there's a group, depression group recovery. Make sure it's about recovery and not a support group. Because that's there's a difference. There's a need for a group setting where you need to do the discovery and it go into the recovery mode. And this is where the work goes. That's why I tell people discovery is not recovery. Get the tools. They think it takes a long time. I've had people with complicated lives from being in cults, being 80, 90 years old. I have a friend. She's 91 years old. She just lost two children. She's still awake. I know she's in the grieving process and I'm there with her all the way, but I can't imagine being 91 and thinking about my own mortality, even without the loss of my two children and how you have to walk through that. If you're 90 years old right now and you're on this podcast because you heard Ron was coming on it, you are not alone. It ain't over till it's over. And we're here. I could speak for myself and I think I could speak for Ron a little bit to have you still have this best time of your life. But first, let's get rid of some of the filters that you've been walking through that no, you don't know about yet. So reach out to others who are in that positive, that positivity in life. Don't go to the people you've complained with and then they go down the rabbit hole with you. Do you agree, Dr. Kaiser? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've always 
said that aging is not a spectator sport. And I'd say the same thing about recovery. It's not a spectator sport. And I think it's such a universal thing to have gone through grieving that it's, I know when particularly initially, you may feel nobody has done it like you because nobody had that kind of unique relationship or whatever it was. Uh, But the reality is that it's one of the things where if you can find positive, healthy people, you can pretty much be guaranteed that some of them have gone through this, have handled it in a way that can be helpful to you. And again, I just think the work you're doing is so important because, uh, again, it's not just support, but it's, it's activity. It's not being passive. And you get the support plus the, the non-spectator aspect to it. Right. And no matter what age or how complicated you think it is, there's ways to break it down. And it doesn't take long. Yeah. The picturing of the work is beyond your wildest dreams. Everybody has their own uniqueness and how they're walking through it. And when, you, when I'm saying you, when you're with your peers, you don't pick people necessarily has the same thing. I lost a child. So I want to talk to someone who's lost a child. Talk to all kinds of people. You don't have to specify the exact same kind of loss. It's what are they doing? How did they get to the other side? Read something on Lincoln, President Lincoln, what he's gone through in life. Read about people who have gone through the depths of tragic, a lot of no's in life, failures, losses beyond measure that you can't even comprehend. And they may talk about the successes they had and how they walked through it. But I have a feeling they did some work on their own privately and with a trusted professional or someone that has gone with similar things or has gone through a loss and they're grieving that can't get out of bed or you're just like, how come I'm not in a relationship oh my God, I'm 63 years old. I did this grief recovery work and I found a relationship and I don't want to get into my story that is a life relationship. And I feel different than I ever have in this relationship, more fulfilled, more grounded. And that's just my story. And I identified with my work. I was CEO of a company for 26 years and, you know, I sold it. That was great. Yay, yippee. But I was grieving my identity. And I know a lot of people who are watching this who are in the next chapter in their life, from professional to, hey, what's the next step? Uncertainty is huge. But that's also one of our human needs, certainty and uncertainty. So if we didn't have the uncertainty, how, you know, we need those juices flowing, a little fear going on or, oh, my God, that's sort of enthusiasm and fear. It's a fine line or excitement. So think about it that way, as Dr. Ron was talking about change your paradigm. And we're here. We hope we did a little little of that today. So Ron, what is going on with you as far as you've got your book rejuvenating? I know you're coaching, you're speaking all over the place. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on and how someone can reach you and what what's what's up next? Sure. Well, I am kind of transitioning more from the uh, direct psychological area to doing more in the coaching, speaking area to try and reach more people, just 
because I, I while I enjoy the one to one work, it it's one to one, and and uh, you know I plan to not give it up, but but to to cut back quite a bit. I like the writing part of it, and I probably am going to look at at a couple of other directions. One, uh, I found out that while rejuvenating really talks to the desire to move forward and you almost have to be thinking positively to really pick up the book. Uh, I do think that I want to write some and also have a course on, on aging without fear to try and deal with some of the fears that people have about loss and irrelevance and some of the things that, that happen. Um, I do have some courses online. If somebody's interested, please reach out to me at the mental health gym. It's actually my email is ron.kaiser at the mental health gym. My book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older, is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and places that that handle that kind of thing. Your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is, as, as we talked about, I think we've posted, I think, the 112th this week. It's called Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. And we go live every Tuesday, except the last Tuesday in December, first one in January. And again, realistically, my goal is I'm not the only one working in this area. Some of you may have read about blue zones, people who have studied the people where they're where people habitually become a hundred. There are other people who are working in this regard. I do think that there's a whole lot that we could do to enhance longevity. I think one of the things that I, I think is an important thing for people to be aware of, nowadays people can retire in their late 50s to mid 60s and then live decades longer, sometimes longer in retirement than in work. And it can be a miserable time if you're not seeing it as a gross part of your life. It's absolutely important. That's So I see that's my passion. That's what I want to help people to do. Uh, and certainly those who are grieving, those who experience losses, as we all do, have to deal with that as part of the, the process. And it's very important that they have this outlet or the source of information that you provide just as we have to deal with the fact that medically we can't always be the same as we were when we were 30 and 40. And I mean, you're a terrific role model having acquired a new relationship, and, you know, thriving. Our goal in positive psychology is for people to thrive and flourish throughout the lifespan. And whatever I can do to contribute to it, that's where I want to go. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, here's the last question. And I know I... This is usually the end, but I have one. You are married yes. and you both are getting older together. How is that in this grief space? Like, how do you guys, do you guys talk about things? Like, do you have a sense of appreciation for her or she for you knowing that, hey, this is this next chapter is an important one. How do you guys go about, you know, really having a full relationship without things unsaid? or that could be incomplete, God forbid anything happens to one of you? That's a great question. Thank you for it. Uh, well, first of all, I think I'm luckier than most in terms of the fact that my wife and I 
Well, we shared a lot of interests. And like when I was going to conferences frequently, she would generally accompany me. People there uh, knew who she was, so on. So, I mean, we we enjoy the same movies, watch some of the same sports and so on. So, so it's not a separate part of our lives. And also each of us have helped each other deal with the fact that both sets of parents died when we were uh, married to each other. So the notion of talking about it is not really totally foreign. And I think at this point, we kind of deal with it a little bit matter of factly. I think every time that one of us uh, may have a medical issue, just kind of revisit it a little bit, make sure that the other person is aware of how serious or not serious it is. And we talk about the fact that hey, we're in a, in a three-bedroom apartment because we want our grandchildren to, to visit, which as they've gotten older has become their plans, sometimes don't make it as frequent as we would want. But the recognition that, that someday we, one of us may need a smaller place or, or want a smaller place. So what I'm saying is I think if you're open about it, it becomes part of your life. There are aspects of it that aren't fun to talk about. And there probably are some things that we avoid that we shouldn't. But I think in general, if, if you have good communication in other areas of your life, I think this is one more part of it that we have to accept and deal with and try and, and pull together on. Yes. And I think the questions or inquiry you have with your partner or friendships or family, the things that make you the most nervous sometimes is the conversation you should have. Talk to someone. If you have an uh, argumentative relationship, talk to someone. How can I do it in a way that's not a you and it's I? And ask someone to help you if you have to, or even if you want to talk about death or you're concerned about someone has six months to live or, or what they say. I'm not saying when someone gives a timeline or something, it's true or whatever, but sometimes in death, and I'm bringing this up because death has a lot to do with grieving. Even though I talk about a lot of other grief, treat this time very wisely. Talk about things you may not, that are scary, end of life stuff. This way, once you at least have the facts and the information and the preparation, it's not this frenetic energy all over and you miss the sacredness of this time of life where you don't have the regrets later. Does that make sense to you, Dr. Ron? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't want my analogy to diminish it, uh, the, the, the issue of death, but I think in some ways it's almost a bit like talking about sex. I mean, you can have a lousy sex life and not talk about it, or you can address it with your partner and see if you need professional assistance or if somebody can modify things. And I think it's the same kind of thing here that, you know, you can prepare for the inevitable in a way that's comfortable is probably the wrong word, but is, is, uh, gives you a, a degree of confidence, uh, or you can uh, let the course of events control you. And I just don't think that's good about anything, whether it's a job, whether it's a marriage, whether it's the end of life issues. 
Right. It's that unresolved grief and it's going to stay with you through every conversation. It's going to be in the back of you and you can't live fully. I know every time I shared with somebody my heart was pounding and I don't want to do it, but I knew I must because I've done enough of this work. Oh my God, I say it. And it's like made the relationship even deeper, not just with your loved ones, but with friends, well, friends, our loved ones, but in life in general. So if you've ever thought about doing some type of grief recovery, please let me know. And the Grief Recovery Institute and Ron about aging. If you're scared to death to age, you know, Ron would be a great person. Read his books. Listen to his TED Talks. What is it, 20 minutes? Is it about 20, 25 minutes? 15, 14 minutes and 59. Oh, 14. <laughs> That's right. They're very, very timed. So do that. And you never know. Just don't think you have to do the whole, eat the whole apple in one bite. One thing at a time and things start opening and then you want more and more and more. At least I hope you do. Okay, Ron, thank you. It was so much fun talking with you about a subject that isn't always fun. So uh, thanks for making me it's so comfortable to talk about. And uh, I hope that perhaps we we added to some people's funds of knowledge on the subject. And again, I hope some of you will uh, join the Mental Health Gym, which my website, and keep up on some of the topics related to positive psychology and positive aging in particular. Awesome. I know I will. And thank you. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much. We are here for you. Please share spread the word. This is the grief recovery movement. This isn't grief movement. This is grief recovery movement. I have a Facebook group that I talked about earlier, a private Facebook group that is such a, such a nice group. It's called grief recovery. Now private Facebook group, just click the link and then I'll admit you and would be honored to have you there. The podcast, of course, my grief recovery work. I can do things online. I can do it all over the world as Ron could too. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take good care. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now, and if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.